0: So I don't know about you guys, um, but I have a pretty high level of concern about the fact that there's a huge gaping hole on our platform filled with water. Whoever's idea it was to put the baptistry in the middle of the floor right behind the speaker definitely had a good sense of humor. Um, So maybe I'll get baptized this morning. We'll see. I don't know. All of you out there are going, yes, please fall in the baptistry. That would be awesome. We'll see what happens. This morning, well, my name is Josh and I, I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. And this morning we are continuing uh, in our Summer in the Psalm series that we started uh, a couple of weeks ago. And wouldn't you guys agree that, that where you grow up, where you were born and raised, how you were raised has an influence on who you eventually become as an adult? Wouldn't you agree with that? That, that where you're raised, how you're raised, it has an impact on who you end up becoming as an adult. For example, me, um, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. And what we do in Columbus, Ohio is at a very young age, we begin brainwashing our children to be fans of the Ohio State University (laughs) because that's what we do. I see some hands there and we do that because we want our kids to be winners, right? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. We just want our kids to be winners. I'm just kidding. We have the Cleveland Browns too. So it (laughs) balances out, right? No, but I'm I'm an Ohio State fan because I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. If I was born somewhere else, I may not be a fan of Ohio State. That's a silly example, but you know, in in our lives, where we come from, how we are raised, certainly has an impact maybe on things more important, like maybe which way we lean in our political views, right? Um the characteristics uh that, that we have throughout our lives. Um even more important than that, our religion and our faith. And specifically when it comes to our religion and faith, how we worship. For some of us, we've, we've grown up in the church. We've spent 30, 40, 50, 60 years and more in the church. That's a lot of history in the church. And certainly the time that we have spent in the church has, has shaped who we are as believers in Christ, who we are as followers of Christ and how we worship. For others, we, we haven't been in the church as long. Maybe we're, we're new to the church. We're new to, uh, to this whole Jesus thing, and we're still getting to know. Maybe our experience in the church is over the last month here at FAC, or the last six months or the last year, and our worship experience is wrapped up in what we've experienced here on Sunday mornings at FAC. We all have a different experience, and we all have uh, different ways that we grew up worshiping, and all of it is valid, and all of it is important. And this morning, we're going to be talking about worship from Psalm 96, and I'd like to kind of just throw out a challenge to all of you this morning and just encourage all of you, myself included, that if you've been in church your entire life, or if you haven't been in church your entire life, wherever you fall on that scale, Whatever you, you think about worship, whatever you bring into this, uh, worship service, uh, your, your preferences or, or maybe your, your preconceived ideas of, of what worship should be. I'm just going to ask that you leave them at the door today and just kind of push those things to the side. And the reason that I'm asking you to do that is not because those things aren't important, but it's because I believe what Psalm 96 is talking about when it, when it comes to our worship is much, much deeper than those things. And so I want to ask you to do that this, this morning as we jump into God's word. Can we do that? Can we agree to do that this morning? Yes? Are you still with me? Still thinking about me falling into baptistry? Okay, good. Well, as we dive into God's word, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this time we've had already this morning to worship you, to lift up your name in worship. God, we, we thank you for your word and what we are about to read. I pray that we would look at this passage of scripture with fresh eyes this morning. Uh, with, with open heart and mind, uh, understanding that, that you have something for us this morning uh, related to worship through this passage in Psalm 96. So Lord, we give you this time and pray that you would speak to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As I've said, we're in our Summer in the Psalms series and Pastor Mike has preached the first two weeks and I think he's done a great job. And in the first week, he gave us some background information on the Psalms as a whole. And it's so important for us to understand some of the background of the Psalms so we can better understand them and how we apply them in our lives. But one of the things I want to remind us of is the fact that the Psalms, they were Israel's songbook. The nation of Israel. God's chosen people, the Psalms were were the the songs that the nation of Israel sang in worship to God. When they would come together to worship, when, when they would come to early on in the tabernacle, eventually the temple, and then for generations, the people of Israel, they would sing the Psalms and worship to God. Did you know that Jesus, the, the Old Testament book that he quoted the most was the Psalms? And so these these psalms are really important. What we have to understand about them, because they were a songbook, they're not just something that we read, but something that we do. And we can certainly read them and, and gain a lot of wisdom for our lives, but the, the psalms are meant uh, to be offered back to God in worship as song or offered back to him as prayers. And I believe that's when they have the most power and they're the most effective in our life. When we do those things. So I just want us to remember that as we jump into Psalm 96 and even uh, as we continue in in the series in in the coming weeks, remember what the Psalms were intended to be. So let's read through Psalm 96, starting in verse one. We're going to read the entire passage um, and then we're going to go back and kind of break down section by section. Starting in verse one of Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world and righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful thing in how the, the psalmist describes what our worship should be and how great and how awesome God is. And so we'll see as we, as we look at the psalm, as we look at the heading, a lot of the psalms that the writers are given. Whoever wrote the psalm is, is listed at the top in the heading, and this one we'll see it's not attributed to any specific writer. But we commonly think that David most likely wrote this psalm. And the reason we think that is because in First Chronicles 16, David is, is singing a, a song of praise in front of the nation of Israel. And the song that he is singing are, are the exact words that, that come from Psalm 96, pretty much in the same order. And so we feel pretty confident that, that David most likely is the author of Psalm 96. And so assuming that, I think it's important for us to understand what was happening in the life of David and, and the Israelites from First Chronicles 16. And at that time, what's going on is, is David and the Israelites have just gone to battle, and they've, they've taken the city of Jerusalem, they're going to make that, that their capital city. That's going to be the city where David is going to rule and reign. It's going to become the city of David. He's going to have a palace there where he rules and reigns over God's chosen people, the Israelites. And so God has been faithful to them in battle once again. And, and what we know about David is, is, one, he was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us that. We also know that David was a worshiper. He was a musician. He would play the harp for Saul. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. And so this was David's heart. And in First Chronicles 16, uh, one of the other things that David is doing is he's having the Ark of the Covenant brought into Jerusalem. And he's going to have it put in a place where there's going to be a permanent place where God's people can come and worship him. And David had been set apart as king early in his life when he was a young boy, but it wasn't until his 30s that he actually became king. So this was a long time coming in his life. And so David is excited, and he's celebrating uh, the, the faithfulness of God in his life. And so this is also the story where where David dances in an undignified way. And people believe that that the king of Israel, uh, that he, he shouldn't be dancing in front of people this way. But David says, I'll become even more undignified than this, to worship my God and my king. And so this is where we are in the story. And so David is setting up how worship is going to happen. He, he's uh, selecting people that are going to lead uh, the Israelites in worship. And then David sings these words from Psalm 96 that we also see in First Chronicles 16. So I think it's uh, important for us to understand that, uh, that background, kind of the context in which David is writing these words. So let's go ahead and jump in back into Psalm 96. We're going to look at the first few verses. And just like I said, break it down section by section. First verse says, oh, sing to the Lord, a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name. So right off the bat, this is a call to worship. David is calling the people to worship God and he's calling them to sing. It's that first line, sing to the Lord, a new song. We know what it means to sing. We know what a song is, but what does it mean to sing a new song? When we define that word new out in the original language, what we find is that it means fresh or a new thing. And so what I don't think this means is that we should just pick the newest worship song that's on the radio and and pick that and sing that in church every single week. There's nothing wrong with that. That can be a good thing, and we do that from time to time here at FAC. But what this verse is saying, it goes much deeper than that. What we have to remember is that the songs that we sing, those are the tools that we use to worship God. The instruments that we play, those are the tools that we use to worship God. The songs themselves are not worship. The worship happens from hearts that are fully surrendered to God. We can sing all the right words, songs that, are, that say true things about God from his word, But if it's not coming from a surrendered heart, it's just noise. And the Bible tells us that. So we have to remember that, that songs are just the tool that we use to worship God. And so I think when it's saying, sing to the Lord a new song, we have to remember what was happening in David's life. God had just been faithful to him in a big way. They had conquered Jerusalem, and they now had this city that the Israelites can call home. And so he had done a new thing in their life. And so it was less about a song and more about praising God for his faithfulness and what he had just done, not just what he'd done in the past, but what he was doing currently in David's life and the life of the Israelites. Next it says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Just a reminder that it's not just us. It's not just us in these four walls singing to God today. There's other voices around Erie, around Pennsylvania, around the world, worshiping God this morning and all of creation as well. Just a reminder that everything that has been created by God worships him. And it, it, he gets a little bit into that more in verse 11, where he says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Even creation worships God. It's not just us and our voices. When we sing, when we worship, we're joining with all of creation to worship God. Then It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name. In the NIV, it says, praise his name. All this is saying is it's reminding us what the focus of our worship is, or I should say who the focus of our worship is. And it's on God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus, the name that is above every name. That is the focus of our worship. And sometimes I think we we lose sight of that. We become distracted by other things. And when we become distracted by other things, we become a distraction in worship. And we take away from the glory that God deserves. And so we have to remember that we are called to praise his name when we worship. It's not about me or anybody else on this platform. It's not about anybody else in this room. It's all about God and his glory and his name. And so we have to remember that when we come to worship. As we continue reading verse 2, I love what it says. It says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And when we stop and think about that, it's like, well, wait a second. I thought we were talking about worship. And now, all of a sudden, it, it seems like we're talking about evangelism. Like sharing our faith with others. Talking about the salvation that we've received from God. Declaring his glory among the nations. And so what David is doing here is he's, he's kind of tying worship and evangelism together. Saying they, in a way, go hand in hand. And I believe that's 100% true. Because how we worship in this place can have an influence on those who have not yet made a decision for Christ. When we have authentic, true worship from hearts that are surrendered to God, those who have not yet accepted Christ will see that, and we're an example to them. But I think also when we worship together in unity on Sunday mornings, and we are filled up with the presence of God, and we go out into the world the rest of the week, it encourages us. It gives us energy to to take that salvation that we've received and to share it with others. Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? And so worship absolutely is a part of how we reach others. I love what John Piper says about worship. He says, you cannot summon the nations to sing if you are not singing. You cannot summon the nations to sing if you are not singing. And so if we want other people to come to know Christ if we want them to, to receive the salvation that we've received, if we want them to worship Jesus along with us, how can we expect them to do that if we can't worship together in unity? If we can't lift up God's praise from surrendered hearts to him, how can we expect the world to come to know him and to worship him? We have to worship together in unity. We have to understand that God is the focus of our worship. He is what it's all about. And when we do that, powerful things can happen to the church because it's why we're here. And so David gives us a call to worship, a call to sing praises to him. Let's continue reading verse four. It says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So if the first three verses were calling us to worship, now David is telling us why. He's telling us why we should worship, and it's because of who God is. It's because of how great God is. In verse 4, it says, uh, he is to be feared above all gods. That word feared is, is a little bit different for us because typically when we think fear, we think of being afraid. But that's not what it's saying here. That word feared means to, to, to be in reverence of who God is, to be in awe of who God is, to, remind, to be reminded of how great and how awesome and how faithful he is to us. That's what it means to, to fear God. And I think grasping God's greatness uh, would cause our worship to look much different on Sunday mornings, don't you? If we could truly grasp God's greatness. But the problem is, as humans, we, we can't completely grasp the entirety of God. There are things about God that we just won't be able to understand on this side of eternity. But I think it's important that we wrestle with God's greatness and who he is and attempt to understand him as much as we can. Because we need to be reminded on a regular basis that we are not on the same level as God. When it comes to us and God, it's not a uh, level playing field. He is greater than we are. The Bible tells us that his ways are greater, his thoughts are higher. Again, it's not an even playing field. But I feel like sometimes we try to to minimize God. We kind of try to put him in a box so that, that we can, with our own human minds, understand him better. But the problem is when we do that, it minimizes our worship. It decreases our worship and how open we are to him because we've minimized his greatness. We need to remain in awe of God. We need to be in reverence of him. We need to fear him because of how great and awesome he is. And God has so many just amazing characteristics and qualities. But I just want us to talk about one for just a couple of minutes. And that's the fact that God is eternal. God is eternal. No beginning and no end. When I sit and I try to to understand that, And try to fathom the fact that God is eternal. It seriously like puts my brain into a pretzel. It ties it in knots and just gives me a headache because I I can't, I can't comprehend that. Seriously, how can God have no beginning? We each have a beginning, a middle, and eventually an end here on this earth, but God does not. He was there at the beginning and he'll be there at the end. God isn't stuck in a timeline. God made the timeline. And I'm going to say that again because that is so huge for me in my life right now and some things that I'm experiencing. God isn't stuck in a timeline. God made the timeline. He doesn't work in our time frame. He's been here for all of eternity. He will be here for all of eternity. He has no beginning. He is not stuck in our little timeline that we like to put him on. But have you ever just sat and thought about that? Have you ever just sat and tried to understand the fact that God is eternal? I mean, I can almost kind of grasp the fact that God has no end, right? Because that, that's our hope, that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that even though we die here on this earth, we spend eternity with him. And so I can kind of grasp the fact that, that God has no end because there's hope in that. But the fact that God has no beginning, how can we wrap our minds around that? How can our human minds truly comprehend that? And the answer is they can't because our minds have a beginning Our minds have a date on the calendar in the timeline that God created that we were born. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says. and This is from the NIV. says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So God has put a longing for eternity inside of us. He's put it in the hearts of men. And I think he's given us glimpses of that through his creation, but we can't fully comprehend everything about God, especially when it comes to eternity. And that is just one aspect, one characteristic of of God. So we should live in this awe, in this reverence of him and who he is and how great God is. Because again, I think if we did, our worship would look a lot different. And so we're called to worship. David gives us why we worship. Let's continue reading in verse 7. Says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come into His courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before Him, all the earth. That word "ascribe" it's, it's not a word that we use very often, but it simply just means to give. And this doesn't mean that, that we can give God something that, that he is lacking, but rather that we offer God the worship that his majesty and his glory deserve. And I think this says a lot to us about our posture in worship. Because if we've been called to worship, and if we're called to worship because of God's greatness and who he is, and we truly believe that and we're convinced of that, wouldn't our posture in worship look a little bit different? When we're singing, when we're lifting our voices to God, maybe we do that a little bit louder. Maybe we wouldn't worry as much about the people around us and we'd feel a little more comfortable lifting our hands and worship to God or, or kneeling in reverence before Him because we we're overwhelmed about how great and how awesome He is and His faithfulness to us. And men, guys, I'm going to talk to you for a minute because we're bad at this. We struggle with this because we're guys and we have to be tough. We don't want to let down our guard. But we are the leaders of our family, the spiritual leaders of our families. And nothing can have a bigger impact on our families than be an example of worship for our spouses and for our kids. If we are convinced that God is who he says he is and that we are called to worship him, then we need to let go of those things. And our posture in worship should look a whole lot different as men. I just want to challenge and encourage you with that. Let's continue reading. Verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And so I love this last part because we've been called to worship because of who God is, and then we respond to him by giving him the glory that he deserves, and there's a result from that. And the result is the fact that Jesus has made a promise to us that one day he's going to return, and he's going to fix everything. He's going to make all things new. He's going to take away the pain, the suffering, all of those things. And he's going to make it new. And all of creation, us included, is going to worship God in unity. I love what it says in Revelation chapter 21. This is a vision of, of new heaven and a new earth that, that Jesus gives to John. And he's writing down what he sees. In verse 2 it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So Jesus tells John, write this down. This is a promise. This is going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to return. And God's dwelling is going to be with man in a way that we have never experienced before. And he is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. There'll be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. So whatever you've walked in with this morning, whatever difficult circumstance you're dealing with, it's going to be wiped away. And God is going to make all things new. Those health issues that you're dealing with, the financial issues that you're dealing with, the relationship issues, that boss that drives you crazy every week, all those things are going to be made new because Jesus is going to return. It's a promise. So whatever circumstance you're carrying, you can trust in that. And so that's what Psalm 96 is calling us to do. It's just calling, to rec- calling us to recognize who God is and to worship him because of it. So this morning, what I want us to do as, as we come close to the end of our service is I want to give us a little bit of extended time to worship him this morning. Hopefully you've been able to listen to Psalm 96 with, um, with open ears and open heart and mind. And maybe this has impacted you this morning, uh, God's word. And and so we want to have a little bit of extra time to to worship him and to sing to him. And so the first song that we're going to sing, it's a new song um, that we're introducing to you. But I think it perfectly summarizes what we've talked about in Psalm 96. So at a point in the song, we are going to ask you to stand and sing along with the worship team. And just pray that you'll just jump in as well as you can understanding what this song is communicating. Then the next song we sing is is going to be a song that you're very familiar with. But I want to read the lyrics of this first song, the new song that we're going to sing to you. Uh, Because like I said, it just perfectly summarizes Psalm 96. The first verse says this, Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Everything that we offer to God. Every word, our voices, every breath that we offer to him, he is worthy of it. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. That's who he is. He's our savior. He's the name above every other name. The course says, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. I love this line. Open up my eyes to wonder. That's what we've talked about this morning that that we need to ask God to open up our eyes, to reveal himself to us, his greatness to us. Open up our eyes to wonder. Yesterday, my family and I, we went to Niagara Falls, and we've been there before, but we just wanted to go back and visit. And we did the, the boat tour and also the walking tour. And while we are doing the walking tour, I was just looking up at the waterfalls going, this absolutely is God revealing his power and his glory to us. But we miss it. We miss what's happening around us. We miss those opportunities for God to speak through us, through his creation. So we need to ask him to open our eyes and wonder and show us who he is. That's the next line. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Again, our worship and evangelism go hand in hand. And in the bridge of the song, I, just, I believe that this is what God wants for all of our lives says, I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. We can build our life upon God's love because of what he did for us through Jesus on the cross. We can build our life on that. And I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. I just want to encourage you this morning that as we have this time of worship, that you just remember that As we sing, our voices aren't the only voices that God is hearing. He's hearing the voices of those of the church down the street, all around the city of Erie, all around the state of Pennsylvania, all around the United States, and all around the world. He is hearing voices lifted up to him in worship. It's not just us. And when we understand that, when we can grasp that, we get a sense and a picture of what heaven is going to be like. It is so important what we do in this place on Sunday mornings. It is so huge and we minimize it so often. So I just want to encourage you as we sing together, as we worship, as we close out our time, and we're going to take up our offering as well, that you just lift your voices and just let go and allow God uh, just, just to overwhelm you with his greatness and who he is and all that he's done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 96 and the picture of worship that it gives us, what our worship should uh, look like, Lord. God, I pray that that we have received uh, this passage of Scripture with open hearts and minds this morning. Lord, I pray that it would change the way that we see worship and change the way that we worship. God, because what's described in Psalm 96 goes so much deeper than sometimes what we allow ourselves to make. Uh, worship in our own personal lives and in the church as well. So, God, I pray that we would learn to live in awe and reverence of you, that we would just be overwhelmed by all that you are. Lord, that we would remember that, that you were faithful to us not uh, just 2,000 years ago, Lord, but that you are faithful now and you're going to continue to be faithful in the future because Jesus promised that, that he is going to return and he's going to make all things new. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now that we have to respond to you in your greatness and your glory. And God, at the same time, we thank you for this time of offering as well. Another way that we can worship you, bringing offerings, uh, bringing a sacrifice to you. Lord, I pray that uh, the money that is given uh, will be given from cheerful hearts and that it will be an act of worship, not something that we feel like we have to do or that we're supposed to do, but that we truly give from a, a cheerful heart. And, God, that the money is given, we go to further your kingdom here in Erie, Lord, but also the the ministry that's being done at First Alliance Church. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.